Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, December 4th, 2020. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Um, Noah, you caused a dust-up uh, on Twitter uh, yesterday, uh, pointing out. Well, uh, let me let me just let me just sort of say you are concerned that there is going to be a kind of um, uh, dual society in 2021. Uh, the people who get the vaccine versus the people who have either not yet got the vaccine or the people who will not get the vaccine, and that therefore uh, uh, this is bad. I think so. Uh, apparently, the universe of uh, elite opinion thinks I'm crazy. So, um, I've been well, concerned- lay, lay out your case without sure. about the arguments. Against I will, that. and I've been concerned about this prospect since at least April when I started writing about it um, back then, and it was related to serology um, tests to demonstrate antibodies. We had people like Andrew Cuomo talking about the prospect of creating a passport system for people who had developed immunity and uh, could demonstrate it through serology and provided them with some sort of identification as such, which would allow them access to social economic life to which most other Americans did not have access. Um, And this was to me a very frightening prospect for a variety of reasons. The first of which being, which is not related to to this current condition, which would be, it, it would create perverse incentives to get infected. First of all. Um, Second of all, it would yield to a tiered society, a stratified society in which you had um, services that were uh, standardized, regularized, and um, probably pretty good. And people who didn't have access to those societies, to which the market would eventually cater, but it would cater them to them in forms that are um, substandard or even perhaps abusive under the radar um, that sort of thing happens in illicit economies. Uh, so that's been my concern for quite some time. And yesterday we had this news that came out of CNN, which had you know showed this little card, which said everybody will get a card and they can put it in their wallet and it'll tell them when they had their first dose, when they had their second dose, and it'll be essential proof of immunity. And I said... Uh, on Twitter, just offhandedly, that there needs to be legislation. I didn't specify federal legislation or state-level legislation. I think it's probably state-level legislation. But regardless, there needs to be legislation barring private interests from using this to de facto stratify society. Um, And a coalition of, a strange coalition of libertarians and leftists jumped out at me and said this was completely crazy and unnecessary. And even if it wasn't unnecessary, it'd be pretty good to create a a situation in which all businesses barred access to people who were not properly immunized in the event that we had an immunization regime that was relatively um, broad. Uh, For libertarians, it is businesses can do whatever the heck they want, get off my yard. And for leftists, it was, well, you know, this is a matter of public health and any inducement, any nudge we can provide to ensure that the public abides by this um, is good. Now, my concern stems not from what this conversation immediately devolved into, which is airlines, understandably so, because the only institution I've seen saying will bar people who don't have immunization records is Qantas Airlines, Australian airline, uh, air provider, air carrier. Um, and I haven't seen anybody else do this, but the regime around flight is such that it would be easy to impose that sort of thing on this. And it's also an indication, I think, of sort of a class-based myopia. I'm not fearful for the professional class. The professional class is going to get this thing. My concern stems from people who, through no fault of their own, are unable to access this, uh, lack health insurance perhaps, or simply miss it or forget their second dose, their booster shot, what have you. I'm surrounded by people who never stopped engaging in this economy. They never stopped staying home, but they're by no means essential workers. You know, we're talking about car mechanics and garage door repairmen and people who still have to provide for their families and still are allowed to work, but do not qualify as essential workers who will probably be those kind of people. And my fear is that there's a pretty easy situation in which you can envision, I don't think it's hard to imagine at all, uh, how the Whole Foods person who checks for your masks 
and you walk in the door, now it just checks your ID card and your vaccination card. There's no added cost there. But the people who don't have that sort of thing are relegated to sub-tier second standard services like bodegas. That's their life. Okay. Um, okay. There's okay. a little, little concern for <clears throat> outcome among the professional classes who who determine you know the what we talk about on a daily basis. Okay. Anybody want to? I, I this uh, is actually issue already objections. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I will say this is already happening in China. There are certain uh, regions in China they did it using smartphones. And you had to, they color coded it. Like, I think it was, you know, red, yellow, green, like a stoplight. And if you're, and it was based on whether you had been exposed or whether you were, you'd already had it or, you know, what, or you'd quarantined enough, you know, they had various ways of regulating what the color coding would be. You literally could not enter certain buildings until you showed the color. Some buildings were coded, you know, they would let people in who were only green, perhaps yellow, um, and they checked everyone at the door. And one of the concerns raised was, well, one of the when concerns are raised, they were they were told, you know, this is just for a pandemic. It's kind of emergency use because usually we don't like to monitor people's health this grant at such a granular level for public health, public safety. Well, very quickly, within a few months, the officials in that region said, you know what, this is kind of great. Like we could we could see other health uh, applications that we could use. Like if someone's sick with some other contagious illness, it'd be good if we all knew that, which, of course, like like Noah, that immediately raises hackles for me for uh, privacy reasons. So, um, yeah, this this is it's very easy to see this happening. And in other parts of the world, it already is. I I, I don't have an objection. I have a question with um something of a sort of a devil's advocate um, uh, in mind. How is this fundamentally different from those private establishments that say uh, you need a mask to enter? Yeah, I don't know if it is fundamentally different. I don't know if it's, <clears throat> if the, my objection here is, is more legal or philosophical, I think it's probably more philosophical. Um, my concern here is that you know there are businesses already that do not enforce such mandates. Your Target does, your Walmart does, your Whole Foods does, the Aki down the street doesn't. And it, there's really very little. And like your local deli, where well, what, my local deli, so where it's populated mostly by construction workers. Okay, um, but what's, what's, what's the point? What do I you don't mean, understand. Okay, so you're saying that there could be a sort of two-tiered society where if you are vaccinated, you uh, are freer than people who are not vaccinated. Right. Right. Precisely. Okay. All right. And, and that you're relegating those people in that in that in that okay. invisible society to substandard and abusive black market services. Okay. Well, so the problem I have with this is that I can see very much that uh, any effort to impose or to or to um, uh, create a condition under which you can only enter X, Y, or Z if you have already been vaccinated uh, before the vaccine is universally available, you know, on demand, would be incredibly unjust. At the point at which the vaccine is universally available and people voluntarily choose not to get vaccinated, they can go hang. Again, my concern is not for people who voluntarily miss this thing. It is for people who, who are unable to access it through conditions we cannot anticipate. Well, you have to allow for the prospect that we don't know everything I, that's going to happen. I don't, I don't, and, I, there's I, a, and also just to make this I don't point know clear. what that means, Noah. There are, there are uh, in almost every state in the country, children are required to be vaccinated to go to school unless they have a specific religious or health-related qualm or problem that means that they should not be vaccinated. I mean, there is a there is a universal. It's not really universal because it's stately. These are state level uh, right. regulations. You're just you just made the counter argument. It's not universal. It's very porous. No, 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 no. It's universal. I mean, it's not one. federal. It's not federal. Between vaccination dose one and vaccination dose yeah. six hundred and eighty million. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people who are not right. part of that regime. Okay, okay, okay. And many of whom have through have do not have any fault. Are not choosing to I, be part of that that second tier of society. I am agreeing. I am, I am agreeing with you on that, and I think that that's a totally reasonable objection. I think the question that we are trying to deal with here 
as a society is that in the last 20 years, there has arisen a movement against vaccination in general. And polling suggests that as many as 30% of Americans think that vaccines cause illness and don't want to be vaccinated. There are different kinds of vaccinations that have raised different kinds of hackles, right? There was the HPV vaccination that uh, religious uh, conservatives opposed because they thought that it was essentially a way of um, telling teenage girls in particular that it was okay for them to engage in sexual relations because they wouldn't get HPV, right? So there was this idea that the state was somehow implicitly sending a message that teenage promiscuity was welcome. I think that was kind of nuts, but I understand it. I understand it as a values-related thing. Um, when we are seeing uh, resurgences in mumps and measles and rubella because hippie rich people in Marin County don't want to vaccinate their children or want to vaccinate or, or have, this, have these kind of made-up ideas that they should slow the roll on vaccination. Like if, they, if the rule is with the Pfizer vaccine that you need two shots a couple of weeks apart, then they'll be like, well, I, I'll take two shots, but I want them eight weeks apart because I believe in stretching out the vaccination time or something like well, that. This is why it's so difficult to have this conversation because it's dueling first principles. People who think there is a, a subset of people who think if you got this virus, it's a result of a moral failing on your part because you did something wrong. There are people who think that if you don't get the vaccine, the vaccine, it's not because of any extenuating circumstance, it's because of some moral failing on your part. And there are people who think, as I do, that if you have a tiered segregated society, it's a moral failing on but, society's but, part. But we are talking about inviolable first principles in conflict. Let's go, wait, wait, let's go back to the school vaccination thing for a second, because you're like skipping over that. We insist in this country, in almost every state, there has to be a specific exemption from the requirement that children be vaccinated before they go to school. Right. Why is this any different? But In other I words, think, yeah, go ahead. Christine. I was going to say, I think you guys are kind of arguing two separate things, but both of which I think you actually agree on more than disagree. The first to the school vaccination point, John's absolutely right. You know, the constitution, we think of it more like the draft, right? The state can insist and impose on its own citizens for the sake of the good of the nation, whether it's health or, or you know, defending oneself in wartime, that's constitutional. So that's one, that issue is settled. You have to argue for an exception to that. But a, the broader philosophical point, which I think Noah is, is absolutely right on, is this idea of, um, tiered systems and the habits of mind that citizens form when they become used to living in a world where you have to show papers to prove something about yourself on a daily basis. And I'm, and I'm thinking here about there's also in the hands of the state, the risk of a kind of mission creep. And we've seen this. Think of the CODIS genetic database that the federal government operates, which started as a, oh, it'll help us find cold cases. Oh, we're building a database of criminals. Now there are states that take genetic information from citizens under arrest. They haven't been convicted of a crime. They've been arrested. And we've seen this slow spread over many decades to the point where there are now people, including many progressives and many people who claim to care about civil liberties, who will argue every citizen should give a DNA sample at birth. That freaks me out. But the, but the, I do I worry more about the kind of long-term habits of mind that it's formed in a citizenry that is expected to prove something about itself every time it wants to go into public. And, and you cannot blur the distinctions between public taxpayer funded interests and private interests. Yes, you can. what I'm talking about. Absolutely. You can. Why can't you, the government has coercive power with the for, you know, with taxation and arrest and fining and private interests have private contracts with everybody that they enter into. So if Qantas, wait, if Qantas Airlines doesn't want anyone on its plane who's not vaccinated, I don't know, let's just make up, or, you know, if, if X company won't let you in the door if you're not vaccinated, they are, they are doing two things, one of which is they're saying, I'm not entering into a contract with you uh, unless you have, unless you're vaccinated. And the other is I'm willing to sacrifice the income that I can get from your custom if you are not willing to meet this standard. And I don't know why that is a, uh, you know, th that is something that the law has to intervene on because we're not talking about, uh, you know, uh, refusal of service to somebody 
because of the color of their skin. We're talking no, about. I don't know. I, I think that elides the distinctions here. But what I'm talking about, very in, in a way that can't actually be overlooked, the people who are going to miss this thing again through no fault of their own because of their economic and social circumstances are deserving of a kind of exemptions that I that I think we should envision here. It is not. It is discrimination based on circumstances that they don't have control over, almost accidents of birth in some cases. I don't think that's that's something that you, you can just gloss over. But you're you're creating you're creating a theoretical condition. What do you well, mean? It's all theoretical. No, but what do you mean people whose circumstances may mean that they are not in a position to get the, to get vaccinated? I'm thinking of everybody in the United States has to pay taxes. I mean I, I just you know everybody is in the social security system. If you're a citizen of the United States now, I don't understand why, in this one instance where where uh, where people in your neighborhood who aren't citizens, what? who don't speak a lot of English, yeah, who don't, who who do just you know mostly don't go to the, the their only experience here in the in the you know above board economy really is just going to Target. They're relegated to a bodega. That's their life now. And no, and they that, go to the Target. They go to the Target. Public health risk. They go to the Target. Target says you can't come in here without being vaccinated. They then know they have to go get vaccinated. I mean, again, I, I don't understand. You are you. I understand the notion that there is something horrifyingly coercive about the idea that the government of the United States or the fifty governments of the of the fifty states and the District of Columbia or whatever. Uh, may be mandating that everybody do something and that that is not generally something that happens in the United States. But Christine makes a very good analogy to the draft. We do this with children who are, of course, uh, not who are who are who have no choice. Uh, they're not even considered, uh, you know, people with choice because they're under 18. They're not voters. They're not you know, they're not they're not they're citizens, but they're not full citizens. Well, look, it, sh- it certainly should be coercive in this case. We should be nudging people's behavior here. I mean, I'm, I'm as cri- critical well, as I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about nudging here. I'm talking literally about, and by the way. Well, you're not, going to create a condition. Not everybody's going to get it. This is just the truth, the fact. That, not yeah, everybody's going to yeah, get it. And they can you're drop dead. And they can it. drop dead. That's what I'm okay. saying. I'm serious. <laughs> you know, we have a vaccine. They are in no black society that you don't see, that you don't encounter, and that doesn't bother you. But it will nevertheless exist and exert pressure on social services as a result, and will create a two-tiered condition in this country where you have an above-board economy and the people who are the untouchables, the unclean, who you don't see, who have access only to these certain services. These vaccines are going to be all but free for everybody in the United States. There but is somebody, no question that nobody, you know, if somebody is to, finds it's too expensive to pay for, it will be free. They can go to their county board of health. But some they of the can, concern, yeah. some of the concern, I think, is that we already know that we're going to have to do this in a tiered system. Like, not everybody's going to get this vaccine right away, and we already have to start having the arguments about who gets it first, who gets it second, who That's gets it fiftieth. Right. And we, you know, and on a mini scale, we did this in DC with H one N one. And they had to make these decisions. And one of the requirements was that the first people in there were children because it was actually hitting children very, it was a very challenging virus for children. They were getting very sick. Um, and th- there were many of us, including me, I was a healthy, uh, you know, healthy adult. I never got the vaccine because I they didn't have enough of it for people like me. And I got sick. I was fine, luckily, but there were other people who weren't so fine. So that decision making, right. I think, speaks to some of the some of the concerns that Noah has, I think, are absolutely vital during this period where we have to we have to put people in a line. If you, if you miss your second boost because your kid got sick, because you had to go pick up your grandma, all these that's not your it's not your fault. That's not a moral failing on your part. Who said it was a moral failing? The people and, who talk about this sort of thing, like they can go die. No. But Noah, you're again you're like you're creating a moral hazard situation that doesn't exist yet. First of all, they don't all they don't all require two shots. By the way, also all the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine requires two shots. I don't believe that the Moderna vaccine requires two shots. But but I, you know, there, I, I there, think there's there also, are two or three others that are coming online. Yeah, I think there's a Johnson ahead. and Johnson that's one shot yeah. also. But um, also but I think there's 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 there, 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 Pfizer and Moderna both require two. Okay, boosts. okay. Anyway, 
There's something else that I think mitigates against the kind of um, habits of mind uh, Noah's concerned about and Christine describes, um, which is that the moment that the um, the widespread use of the vaccine of the vaccine um, sort of takes effect and cases start falling, the vigilance about uh, this sort of uh, two tiered uh, system is going to disappear. I mean. It's people are going to say, oh, okay, it's working. We're on the way to recovery. I need business. I'm not going to turn people away. Numbers are falling. Mm-hmm. Um, this is happening. It's we we've 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 made it past past the hump, and that's that. That's why this won't happen on airlines. By the way, the the, the notion that they'll restrict right. access to airlines is just it's, no, it makes no financial sense. And yeah, maybe once we have a you know a, a, enough people that get vaccinated, that it doesn't even matter. At that point, I mean, I'm I'm willing to entirely hypothetical. There is also a stratified, weird stratified society thing. I'll give you an example. So in the 1980s, when there was, you know, uh, when 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 AIDS was uh, running rampant, and people were still not entirely clear about the etiology of the disease, there were rich people. I know one, uh, Sir James Goldsmith, the late Green Mailer. Um, who was a sybaritic guy with a lot of with wives and mistresses and various things and places where he went and had sex parties and stuff like that. He had a compound in Mexico where people had sex parties, and he insisted that anybody who co- came to his compound uh, be free of of AIDS and they had to get a blood test and then they could come and they could basically screw around at his bizarre sex parties. Right. So you could refer to that as this kind of weird world of the stratified society where to be, to sort of gain entry into uh, strange, uh, into sort of like very highfalutin places or very, very high end places where you know, some ultra chic resort where people don't want to have to walk around wearing masks. Um, uh, I, I had a friend who came up with this idea that, you know, the Maldives, you know, some some island you've never heard of should somehow get itself 25,000 doses of the vaccine if, there, <laughs> if there's a one-time vaccine, right? And basically say, fly here for $50,000, stay at our resort, and when you come in, we will give you the vaccine. And then you can party to your heart's content. It'll be like an add-on. It'll be like a, it'll be like the bonus that you get if you're willing to spend five thousand dollars a night, right? It's like the ultimate in ecotourism. Uh, you know, uh, liberate yourself from the uh, coronavirus. Go on vacation, but pay this gigantic premium just to get the vi- You know, just to That's get what the, the, cr- the cruise industry should do. They they need right. it. Yeah. yeah, well, they, but they have, they'd have to get it, right? So you'd have to basically, you'd have to figure out some way to get it and then have people trust that. But so that's one thing where you could see when you say the rich are always with us, there could be some weird thing where we discover that the ultra wealthy have some kind of like sideline or getting vaccinated a lot faster than everybody else is. That will be a scandal and an outrage. I'm sure it's going to happen. It always happens. You know, bribery is very efficient. Uh, there will be scandals in this regard. But the notion that what that 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 you know, middle class people are going to um, you know harm uh, working class people who have not yet gotten the virus again. I don't think any of this is going to happen until you achieve. I think what Abe is talking about works in reverse also, which is on the one hand. If if things really appear to be under control, people are going to be like, "Yeah, let's open up, let's open up, let's open up." We're cheap, we're we're approaching herd immunity. Let, let's get there. And on the other hand, I think that's the point at which you're going to have people saying they're saying, "I don't want to get back. I don't trust these vaccines." And that's that's my question to you, Noah. Which is, if you've got anti-vaxxers refusing to take the vaccine. Why should anybody humor that if it challenges the capacity of the country to achieve the herd immunity that will mean not only that we get beyond the virus, but that the virus actually dies out, like it actually 
dies out and doesn't have a resur- a third resurgence. Or we should not. Resurgence. People who are <clears throat> ideologically, I'm not concerned for them because the most of the people, I mean, making a very blanket judgment that I can't really support with data, but the people that we in, in, in encounter who are vaccine you know, skeptics are upper middle class, are overeducated, are relatively affluent. Those are not the people I'm concerned for. I'm okay. concerned about the people. I know you are, but you, you th- if you think that you, you're trying to draw distinctions to protect people in different cat and that, that that never works you're going to have to be you're saying we have to do something to make sure that people aren't penalized for not being vaccinated and i'm saying well the notion that you can circumstances how can you demonstrate that as a matter of law there is no way to demonstrate it as a matter the easy of way law. to demonstrate that as a matter of law is to prevent businesses from using immunization status as a code to entry no, but you know what I, you know what I think will happen though. Um, to regarding the sort of people that sort of live in the shadows, or, or you know, which is kind of what you're describing, or or have for, for very whatever these reasons are that they can't um, um, get uh, the vaccine uh, as quickly, or or uh, get both doses, or whatever it is, there will be a special uh, attention. Um, it, in terms of um, uh, uh, delivering the vaccine, paid to to this group, the- theoretical or actual group, you know, because it'll come up as a policy question, and there will be sort of explicit guidelines and sort of uh, systems about how, no matter what your circumstance is, we will make sure that you can get the vaccine. I hope okay, so, but I'm not sure. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, I got to Noah. Got to step back, talk about our first sponsor, then we can get back to this, okay? Uh, our friends at the Bonson Group. So let me, sh- let me, uh, let me, let me uh, talk to you plain, okay? The vast majority of professional financial and investment advice is terrible. And that's true for a number of reasons. I mean, let, let's face it, as is true in a lot of fields where you're dealing with consultants and advisors, most financial advisors are lazy, disengaged, and uninterested in the real world work required if you want someone to properly steward your assets. I've heard that a very high percentage of those making a very good living as a professional wealth advisors do not work more than 25 hours a week. And then get into the important stuff. Do they understand how markets work? Do they understand the intersection of public policy and investing? Do they understand the relevance of monetary policy and the Fed and modern finance? And they don't. You may as well be talking to a teenage kid at a coffee shop. The work ethic and the intellectual capacity of many financial professionals leave a lot to be desired. But that is not the case for the Bonson Group, a bi-coastal wealth management firm with over $2.5 billion in assets under management where every single day is an intellectual journey where client communications are a way of life, where every bit of their perspective on the economy and capital markets is their own fresh resource and fresh opinion, and where every client is given his own bespoke family office experience. Read the Bonson Group's weekly investment commentary at DividendCafe.com. Read daily market updates at the DCToday.com. I do. I swear by them. Check out the Bonson Group for a refreshing antidote to the laziness and intellectual spaghetti that is today's investment advice industry. That's the Bonson Group. Check out DividendCafe.com and the DCToday.com and get to know the Bonson Group today for your wealth management needs. Now, let's talk about some of this, these other questions like who's supposed to get the vaccine first? Because this has now become a form of the culture war or social engineering uh, uh, by other means. Um, uh where, you know, we hear, first of all, there, there's stuff that isn't really social engineering, right? That first responders and healthcare workers should get the dose first so that they can, they can function uh, with a great deal more safety without worries for their health and, and all of that. So I don't think anybody objects to that. And then, of course, people who are in really terribly high-risk categories, like people over 75. Long-term uh, care facilities. Long-term care facilities, yeah. Okay. Uh, but then we get into who should get it after that, Right. And uh, that's where our friends, the, you know what, we should really make sure that not only isn't it that the rich get it first, but that the people that we think are screwed by this society should get it before other people get it. 
And the best example is uh, this piece today by Emily Bazelon in, in The New Yorker. Christine, you want to summarize it? Yeah, in the, in the New York Times. She's, she's, I did uh, say The New Yorker, New York Times. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter. They're kind of, you know, six of one, <laughs> half dozen of the other. Um, so she argues that prisoners should be way up near the top of the list. Um, she makes a less than compelling argument as to why this is, except as a, as, as John says, as a means of kind of signaling her higher virtue and caring about the downtrodden, I guess. But it, the, the only bit of kind of plausibly scientific evidence she cites is, is, uh, the fact that it can infect uh, nearby areas, right? So if a pr- prison guards, for example, and prison administrators who work in prisons where, where COVID risk is higher because people are packed in a little bit tighter, um, they could then take the get the virus and then take it to their community, and there that that obviously makes sense. That clearly can happen and has happened. Um, but all of these are solvable problems, right? You vac- treat treat prison guards, which I actually think they should be treated the same way as healthcare workers or essential workers. They are essential workers in our society, and they should be very much at the front of the line for for vaccination. It was more the the assumptions made, and it's a short piece, but the assumptions made in the piece are you're a monster if you don't think prisoners should get vaccinated first. And I think that's ridiculous. Why should a prisoner who's already forfeited his or her uh, civil liberties because of a crime they've committed that that in many cases has rent the social fabric be in line ahead of a law-abiding citizen of any age? Um, if you want to make a strong public health argument about it, fine. But I say if vaccinations are are have to be... Um, delivered in in tears like this i'd much rather see you know less money spent on on social distancing that they can do in prisons or other precautions or give them all masks or whatnot than i would like to see a healthy law-abiding tax-paying citizen denied a vaccine so these are the fights that i think are going to become uh difficult there's also going to be fights about what is a comorbidity and how someone is is qualifies for comorbidity status. And uh, the New York Times also has this fun little game that we've all played and shared our place in line. Although, Abe, you still have to share your place where you plug in your your age and where you live and any con- conditions you might have. And it tells you where you're likely to stand in line in in based on where you live and, and the vaccination. So I'm like, Noah and I are like at the very back of the line. John's a little ahead of us. We haven't found out about Abe. But it's fun to play that game, but then when you start thinking through, you're like, well, wait a minute, why is that guy with the higher BMI who deadlifts, you know, 400 pounds, why, it, it, he gets he gets the vaccination before me? These little questions are going to matter if the number of doses available are not as uh, high as we hope. Can I make a slightly squishy point about the prison thing? Um, yes, you're going to make me look like a monster, but please. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't know the prisoners should get it first, but um the it, it, prisons are terrible places for the the viral spread of course that is well known and the fact is that um not every prisoner um is uh, is there for um a, a death sentence or a life sentence you know so um i don't there's i, I just don't you know so there's a I don't know what I'm saying. Well, I don't other think anyone's that, saying they shouldn't you know, get the they shouldn't get the vaccine. Yeah. The question is, should they get it first? That's the, the which is essentially what the piece says is they should get it right. very early as some kind of gesture toward I don't know what to be honest. It's not right. entirely clear what and and she condemns Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, for saying there's no way that people in prison are going to get this uh, before uh, ordinary citizens who haven't uh, committed She's any crime. Right, yeah. haven't committed any crime. And then she sort of says, and then he got COVID. As so though it's like, ha, 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 <laughs> because he's so mean. I mean... Uh, she's a she's intellectually contemptible in the best of times. So, uh, you know, th- this is a, this is a, this is a new low for her, but uh, Emily Bazelon, but nonetheless, um, you do have this kind of argument that's being made that, let, for example, uh, black and brown people should get it first because uh, sy- systemic racism has somehow given them a higher risk of COVID. Not the circumstances under which they live, but in some kind of weird sense, they should get it first. Also, because isn't it time that they get it first? It's time for them to get it first. Right. Well, people and, have been talking about this for a long time. Yeah, the, prison. About it, yeah. the prison. The prison. Thing? Thing. No, no, yeah. Right. 
in particular, the the risk posed by people who are in confined circumstances, in confined conditions, on top of each other, as being a vector of transmission, and how prisons are relatively porous, not just visitors, what have you, but uh, prison staff, COs, who um, you know visit, contract it inside these institutions and then bring it into the outside world. And the AP found documentation from the Bureau of Prisons, Federal Bureau of Prisons, at least, that said, you know, they're gonna, whatever whatever doses they get is going to be reserved for staff and staff only. And then you have quotes from, you know, concerned uh, people who share Ms. Bazelon's concerns saying that from an epidemiological, I'm quoting from an ABC News report now, from an ethical and epidemiological standpoint, it makes no sense to prioritize correction staff over people behind bars. It's simply a value judgment of people behind bars being less than other people. There's no scientific basis for it. But the same article just said that the only conditions that could lead to an outbreak in a prison exploding out into the public would be from staff who have access to the outside world and, and go back and forth between these two worlds. That would seem to me to be the scientific basis for it, obviously, but they simply decline to acknowledge it look, because we, they look, think they're yeah, making a value judgment. We should make a value judgment. And actually we have been making value judgments with regard to prisoners and COVID. And there's been a many prisoners on early release because of COVID crowding conditions, many of whom have immediately returned to criminal activity that has actively harmed people in their community. So I'm, I'm all on board with the value judgments being made because that's all these things are, right? We're going to have to At least to you acknowledge judgments. you're making a value judgment. Well, okay, I mean, so, people don't even acknowledge they're making a value true. judgment. You know, I mean, here's the interesting thing. So in 19 1969, when uh, the country properly reared an outrage finally about the uh, the inequitable way in which the draft was working in Vietnam and the fact that people in college were somehow getting these exemptions and all that, what did they do? They created a draft lottery, right? Three hundred. You you were drafted on the basis of a of a numbers picked out of a bowl uh, that, that corresponded your to your name. birthday. No, your birthday. Your birthday. And so, you know, it, you, you, if you, you know, you could, you could be 366 or you could be one and it was totally random, right? And you could see some version of that after you deal with the people who have to be vaccinated first because they are, they are at the gravely highest risk, right? Again, everybody over 70, everybody in a nursing home and healthcare workers. And, and after that, I don't know what happens, but the odd thing is that we're in a position in which speed and uh, speed and social engineering are, are going to be at war with each other because you want to create some bizarre bureaucratic system out of nowhere to make sure that the vaccine is administered fairly, or is it basically like we, we just have to get it to every county in the United States. There are 3,310 counties in the United States or something like that. It has to be gotten to every county in the United States. The more, more populous counties are going to, they need refrigerators. They need refrigerators that, in the case of the Pfizer vaccine, <clears throat> have to be able to chill things to minus 93 degrees Fahrenheit. So they, they have to manufacture tens of thousands <laughs> of refrigerators and then they also have to be able to transport the doses. And then we don't, we're not even getting into what happens outside the United States. How are, how are these, how, are, how is the Pfizer vaccine going to get to, you know, sub-Saharan Africa under conditions under which it is kept at these uh, incredibly cold temperatures and stuff like that? That's not really our public policy concern in the United States of the matters that we're talking about. But Matt, now we're going to like go into having some bizarre Solomonic discussion about who's, you know, which baby, you know, which baby gets the, gets the vaccine, you know, and do you could split the baby. I mean, I, I don't know. This is, these are fiendishly difficult questions. I think the major problem though, is that a lot of people have lost confidence in the very public health officials who are going to want to make these decisions. Cause of course they've revealed themselves to be politically motivated liars who who proffer, you know, horseshit when they want you to have a demonstration after George Floyd and then also want to throw you in jail for not wearing a mask at the same time. And they are not, they've lost a lot of their standing. A lot of these politicians who are telling everybody to stay home and then go off themselves to Cabo for a nice, you know, for a nice party for their, uh, 
for their kid's uh, wedding, uh, like the mayor of Austin, Texas, he's then going to go around and be the sort of person who's going to decide who gets the vaccine. And we're supposed to listen to him. You know, he should resign. These, they should all resign at this moment so that someone can come in who will have the faith and trust of the public to make these decisions. I'm not going to listen to Andrew Cuomo. I mean, I, I will have no choice. He'll, these determinations are going to be made. But, you know, I'm going to assume that anything that he does is being done for his own rotten, corrupt, personal aggrandizement standards. And with that, I'm going to pull back again and talk to you about Mac Weldon. The premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart designs and high-quality fabrics, Mack Weldon offers a one-stop shop for men's basic socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, and active shorts. Whatever you need, Mack Weldon has you covered. Unlike the assortment of department store brands that make up your top drawer, all of Mack Weldon's basics have a consistent fit you can count on. From size, you're not going to just look great in Mack Weldon. Their underwear, socks, and shirts perform well, too. A wide range of customized fabrics that can keep up with you no matter what your day looks like. <laughs> and they have, a created, they have created a totally free loyalty program. Level 1 gets you free shipping for life. Once you reach Level 2 by spending 200 bucks, Mack Weldon gives you 20% off every order for the next year. And it wants you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. So for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash commentary. And enter promo code commentary. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N dot com slash commentary. And enter promo code commentary for 20% off your first order. And thank you to Mac Weldon for sponsoring our podcast. Um, we talk a little bit about Georgia because now suddenly after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of uh, nonsense claims, there is now this video from the... Uh, arena where they were counting votes in Atlanta uh, that has, that purports to show um, Republican poll war, poll watchers uh, having been dismissed for the night and then uh, poll officials pulling a suitcase out from under a table with thousands of votes and counting them with nobody watching. Um, and this is now, I think, going to be the long-form birth certificate uh, of this, this video is going is, is the thing that we are going to see for the next four years. As Paul it's a Zapruder film, <laughs> right? It's a Zapruder, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I I trust uh, the uh, conservative commentator Eric Woods Erickson, a, a Georgian a longtime election law person, very right wing, uh, voted for Trump, according to him, and all of that. Who says this is nonsense? The video does not show what it purports to show. The containers that the votes were in are, was not a suitcase from under a table. It was the container. It was the votes were opened by uh, people who opened the mail-in votes and put them in these containers, and then they went home. The the letter openers, and then it was time for those to be scanned in, and they were in the container that was intended for that purpose. And that the uh, poll watcher or the poll, the supervisory poll official at that time had gone out to like have a drink of water or go to the bathroom and then did come back. But that the video was edited to show, to make it look as though he had been ordered home or told to go home. And then they just started counting the votes. Uh, so uh, alternate reality circumstances, how many people are going to believe what I just said on the basis of conservative Republicans saying this who actually do, did this and were on the ground and were responsible for it and know what's going on and the Trump conspiracy narrative. I mean, I don't, I don't know that this is, I think there's probably going to be multiple Zapruder films, right? I mean, I think this is the first and there it took a long time for it to come out. It's literally a month after the elections. Where was this film before? Well, no, but it, but that goes to show that you know you got to do a lot of combing to to come up with something that you can you know uh, uh, pass off as as this, and and there there if this is the only one or or if there are multiple ones, they're going to be uh, adjudicated in the worst possible place, which is you know Twitter. If it wasn't this, it'd be something else. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter. They need something to justify an article of faith, and this is going to be it. And it would have been some other artifact. Uh, okay, but 
my question is, first of all, there are two different ways of looking at this. One of which is there's one piece of video of one person doing one thing. And in this, in this uh, bucket, there are probably a couple of hundred pieces of paper and uh, Biden won Georgia by 12,000 votes. So unless this happened in multiple places at multiple times at multiple venues in Georgia, the Georgia vote count uh, was not off and you know won't be reversed, okay? And if Georgia were reversed and Trump won Georgia, Biden still wins the election. So the idea is only you see this one thing and it becomes the stand-in for supposedly this happening hundreds of places and manufacturing the Biden victory, but you only have one video in one place at one point, right? At least the Zapruder film showed the event that only happened once in one place in Dealey Plaza on November 22nd, 1963, not in Maricopa County and not in Detroit and not in Mil- not in Milwaukee and not in Pennsylvania and not in Erie and not here and not there. There have been three statewide recounts in Georgia administered by Republicans. Joe Biden's 11,000 vote lead has been stable throughout. The conspiracy that is alleged here involves thousands of people, all of whom are keeping it to themselves. And who who have only left breadcrumbs in the form of these grainy security, this one grainy security video, which wouldn't even overturn the election anyway. It's insane to even talk about it, much less lend credence to it. And the people who are clinging to this sort of thing have not reasoned themselves into a, into a position that is that is logical. It is it is working backwards to justify a grievance. And it's paranoid. And, and to raise money, which is what Trump is doing. Yeah, Trump has raised, raising money. I mean, it's Trump the sad people. Raised, there are people who actually believe him or who want to believe him. Trump has raised $207 million since the election with that, those, uh, I, I, I'm calling them direct mail, but they're sort of like email claims that, you know, you can help him. And of course, 75% of that money is actually supposed to go to whatever purpose he wants it to go to and not to, you know, contesting election fraud. Uh, so it's basically an early 2024 campaign contribution uh, or a Trump political machine contribution or whatever it is. Um, I'm asking a different question here, which is not, should it be taken seriously? I'm asking how seriously is it going to be taken by, and, and will it be seriously taken by enough people that it is, one of the new narratives of our time, like the Kennedy assassination, for example, or, you know, like that the Kennedy, that uh, Oswald didn't act alone, or, you know, bet more like, uh, you know, uh, there wasn't a, you know, OJ's finding the real killer, which uh, people do believe, or I don't know what, I mean, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, what is it, uh, fire can't so, melt steel or, you know, gasoline think, can't melt steel or. I think it's more, those are all, uh, with the, those are all kind of big events. I, I see this as more on, on the line of uh, Joy Reid claiming her email was hacked, right? You know, there's a kind of, there's something so clearly um, and blatantly desperate about the claim Um that I think, you know, especially as the sort of Biden transition into the inauguration machine plods along and does its thing, it just becomes more and more of a sideshow, which doesn't mean it doesn't have harm. I don't think Joy Reid should have a microphone in front of her face ever because she just spouts all kinds of nonsense. Um, but, you know, she's allowed to be out there doing that. The, I think this there will be a thriving subculture online that continues with all of this for the next four years. I, it would be it would be naive to think it's going to somehow go away. I think it points uh, there, there's a similar culture on the left, to be honest. And there's there's it, it points to a broader institution. It's exact. Yeah. And it has in its Georgia. Exactly. 1.5 million votes purged by Brian Kemp. 53,000 right. registrations on hold. 214 polling places closed. This is the argument that Dems made for four years or for four years, two, two years. years. 
2018 was the the election they claim was robbed from them. And then they went to the polls two years later and voted Joe Biden into the presidency. Okay, let me. But I, think, let, oh, yeah, I just want to say, but I think it's I think it's going to have very long lasting effects. Actually, um, the 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 sense of distrust. It, it it's kind of like um, so, and I think it's bigger than politics. It's 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 sociological, and, and if you compare the left and the right on this, if you think of like the Kennedy assassination as kind of birthing this um, era of leftist paranoia. That that stretched well into the future, mm-hmm. um, shaped shaped you know um, our culture in all sorts of ways, and the way the way we approach uh, policy and war and things you know this 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 pervasive distrust on the left. Um, I think this year generally, um, uh, some of it justified and much of it um, nonsense, like the, the 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 election fraud conspiracy. Um, will have um, birthed something similar on the right um, that will, I think, stretch well into the future. I mean, I, I think you can go back almost 30 years. I mean, not quite 30 years, but you can go back to 1993. The uh, proprietor of Newsmax, Chris Ruddy, uh, partially made his career with the uh, ludicrous case that Vince Foster, uh, Hillary Clinton's law partner, was murdered in the White House and had his body transported and he was murdered in the White House, taken to an apartment in Crystal City, and then dumped in uh, Fort Marcy Park uh, off the George Washington Parkway uh, in Virginia. And, um, you know, basically this, this was a real idea. And, you know, he, he built a career on it and now has a private plane as Trump's friend and is trying to knock off Fox News. That was 1993. Um, and I think, you know, ever since that you do have these delegitimizing conspiracy theories, you had it about Reagan, too. There was a there was a journalist named Ronnie Duggar who published a book called On Reagan, in which he argued that Reagan was a religious fanatic and that his purpose was to bring about a nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union to hasten the end times because he was a dispensationalist fundamentalist. Looking. And his name was 666, if you counted all the letters. I heard this conspiracy yes. as a kid, actually. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Ronnie, Ronnie Duggar was like an award-winning journalist and wrote this crazy book, and people reviewed it favorably. So that's Reagan. Then you've got Clinton. Then you've got, of course, Bush and stealing the elections and the Diebold machines in 2004. Then you have Obama. And, the, and and he's not really an American. He's from, you know, somehow he managed to be born in Kenya on August 5th, 1961, and, and somehow got to Honolulu, Hawaii on August, Honolulu, Hawaii on August 9th, 1961. Uh, you know, uh, somehow magically as a newborn transported from one to the other uh, in four days. Um and all of that. And here we have this, you know, and so maybe this is just a feature of American politics that is just a sort of standard feature now for, for many decades. And there'll always be one and there'll always be something like it. And we shouldn't be outraged by it because it's just a kind of, you know, uh, comorbidity of, of, of you shouldn't be outraged by it. You shouldn't be terrified by it. There's a difference. You can be frustrated by this experience. You can scoff at it. You can think it's horrible and that these people are irresponsible and are, are actually blinding themselves deliberately to the world around them in order to justify a preconceived notion. That's outrageous. But you shouldn't think that it represents a threat to the foundations of the republic precisely because it has been around for so long. Okay, if I'm John Harwood and I am somehow given the job again in 2023 or 2024 of moderating or co-moderating a Republican primary debate, the first question I am going to ask of everybody on that panel, Trump there or not there, do you believe the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump? Do you believe that the Georgia, that Georgia was stolen from Donald Trump? And if we, if we are in 2023 or 2024 and those people on that stage do not feel comfortable saying, I do not believe that is the case, I believe that Joe Biden was a legitimately elected president of the United States, what will that mean? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they need to be able to say he wasn't because that's what, will, that's what brings the crazies out that you need to vote for you. I don't know. Okay. Uh, last, last sponsor. 
Gabby Insurance, because you know you're probably overpaying on car and home insurance, so you'd love to save money, but is spending hours on your own shopping for a lower rate to maybe save a few bucks worth it? Probably not. So do what so many people have done. Go use Gabby, G-A-B-I. It does all the work for you in just a few minutes and get this. Gabby customers save $961 per year. On average, you get an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive Nationwide and Travelers. You just link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have. You can save that $961 on average per year. That'd be nice to have in your pocket. If they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing you have the best right out there, and they'll never sell your info so no annoying spam or, or, or robocalls. Gabby, see how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Go to gabby.com slash commentary. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash commentary, Gabby dot com slash commentary. You know, it's weird. It's Friday. I was going to, I just thought, you know, to have a nice transition to the weekend, I was going to say, what are you guys going to do this weekend? And of course, no one's going to do anything this weekend. We're now, we're getting back into the framework where uh, I'm sitting in New York. I'm hearing ambulances, uh, you know, all day long. Because uh, because the second surge is upon us, we got we had three thousand people die yesterday, the highest uh, COVID death toll uh, yet uh, in in the in the course of the pandemic. And um, uh, one thing that has been driving me crazy, and I'm just going to ask you guys, is people are saying like, did Biden make a mistake by by saying he wants people to wear masks for the first hundred days of his presidency? And for my first thought was like, oh, my God, that's great. You know, boy, a heavy hand of government, all this. And then I realized that I and my children have been wearing masks now for the last 250 days. So if you haven't been wearing your mask, I, you know, you know what? Don't wear your mask. Don't complain to me. Like, I've been doing it. My kids have been doing it. My kids do it. My kids, thank God, are in school. And they're wearing masks eight hours a day in school. Like I'm, you know, I don't have to do that because I'm mostly home or I'm alone in my office and I don't have to think about the inconvenience they've been put to. But also don't act like your mask mandate for the first hundred days of your office is aligns with capital S science. This is just your devotion to the new regime or at least your deference to the, to the new working order of things has nothing to do with any sort of epidemiological evidence. Yeah. I would much rather have heard Kamala Harris walk back her remarks about vaccinations, given that, given that that's kind of a big concern right now. And she was, she said some very damaging things during this campaign about vaccinations. And I've yet to hear either one of them talk about that. Um, The mask mask mandate, it's just, it's so much signaling. It's Yeah. Or mask suggestion. I'm sorry, it's not a mandate. You know, I I do think that we hit on something we should probably talk more about next week, which is this question of whether or not uh, that what I think is completely legitimate notion that uh, there needs to be, you know, almost universal cooperation with the vaccination regime to get us out of this nightmare. Um, But what, what the slippery slope implications are of a successful move in that direction and whether yeah there'll be this wow this is really great this is really fantastic like now that we've done this what more can we get what more information can we get what more what 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 other things can we make people do that's good for everybody you know that isn't just the nudge uh the Cass Sunstein nudge that Noah sort of alluded to but is actually like Everybody has to buy car insurance, so everybody should also, you know, be forced to give blood. And, you know, that card in your wallet so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and the obliga- the health obligations listed on that card get longer and longer and longer. Especially See, we are ending with paranoia. Yeah, I know. Well, it's not paranoia, <laughs> though. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. No, but it's true, because, especially because there is this whole sort of um, portion of the, of society and certainly of, of leadership that now thinks, you see, we have to force people to do these things because there are people out there that just won't do what's in their best interest and and ours. They, there right. are people out there who won't listen to reason. Uh, now we've seen it, and uh, so we we need to we need to force them. But it's true they won't. It's true. Yeah, but that's and and we, and and the way we talk about this is important because if we talk about these people with peak condescension. 
and, and in fact, contempt, we're not going to induce compliance, precisely the opposite. No, I, I, I think the real question here is, does this appear to be uh, what I would consider not a radical social engineering, but a sort of liberal social engineering? This is the greatest successful experiment in unity that we have ever had. We've never had unity like this. We had 90% compliance. 90% of Americans got vaccinated. How else can we achieve unity uh, in a way that will bring us all together to have a common experience and to all row with the same direction toward a brilliant and beautiful future? Which, of course, is the polar opposite of the American ideal, which is that you don't have to row together. That's that's America. No one's saying you got to row together. No one's forcing you to row together. No sovereign is making you row together. No, you know, uh, Rousseauian uh, legislator is making you row together. How about that? I went to Rousseau. That was, that was pretentious of me. Anyway, so with that pretentious note, we will, uh, we will wish you a very lovely weekend doing whatever it is you can do before we're just sitting here in New York doing nothing again for months. Ah. For Abe Christina, no, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>